The Lord God omnipotent reigneth. So we're going to try that. Now, if it makes you uncomfortable, just, hi, David. If it makes you uncomfortable, it's okay. Just give it a try. Praise the Lord, saints. Hallelujah. The Lord God omnipotent reigneth. You think he, he felt that? Let's do it again. Praise the Lord, saints. Hallelujah. The Lord God omnipotent reigneth. Amen. 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 He does reign. He does reign. We praise God for his reign in the earth. I had opportunity this week to just highlight and thank God for some very specific things. And one of those things is the work that he's doing. Work in very specific areas. Uh, work within um, my sphere of influence and uh, surrounding me. And so I want to give God honor and praise this morning. First and foremost, I praise God for each and every one of you. I thank you for those of you all who are visiting. I thank you for those of you all who are here, who have been fighting the fight of faith, who've been standing strong, who've pressed in and persevered to see this ministry come to where it is. I praise God for our pastor and his wife and the long hours that they spend in fellowship with us and in prayer for us. And that's each and every one of us. I praise God for my family, my wife, who is the love of my life. And I apologize to you for taking to see that horrible movie last night. <laughs> we'll talk about it after church. And I thank God for my children. Thank God for my children. I thank God for what he's doing and what he's going to do even when I'm no longer here. When I'm, I've gone on and prayerfully spend time with him. So we've been talking about a series called Rewrite. And when you think about rewriting something, you think about uh, that first thing being a draft of sorts. And then looking over that draft and deciding, hey, I need to make some edits. I need to make some changes. I need to pull some things out. Now, of course, we don't want to rewrite Scripture because Scripture in and itself is perfect. Mm, yes. And we thank God for his word. But when we match our lives up with his word, we see that there needs to be some change. That's right. And so today, we're going to further this series. We've talked about Jesus turning water into wine, and I am not attempting to do that today. Okay? It's already red. All right? All right? There's food coloring in this water. Amen? All right. And we've also talked about Jesus having an intimate conversation with Nicodemus. And how we learned that we need to be born again. Today we are going to talk about a familiar story. And this story is the story of the Samaritan woman. And we'll find that story in the book of John. John chapter 4. 
For those of you all who have your Bibles, now is an opportunity for you to turn to John chapter 4. And for those of you all who haven't brought your scriptures, we have placed them on the screen for you today. We want to encourage everyone to hold fast to the Word of God. That's right. Bring it with you. Keep it with you. Be ready in season and out of season. Let us pray. Dear gracious and most heavenly Father, Lord God, we thank you for your word. Your word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. And so, God, we ask right now in the matchless and mighty name of Jesus, Lord God, that you would guide us into all truth by the power of your Holy Spirit and that you would help us, Lord God, to do well with this word. God, we thank you for even every opportunity up to this very moment. And we pray, Lord God, that as you speak to us, Lord God, that you will show us what we need to be in right relationship with you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So uh, many of you all are wondering, uh, what is this going on up here? Well, we're not wearing Cortez. And my name is not Jim. And you will not be drinking any Kool-Aid today. Amen? All right? I want to say that. All right? So you will be given one of these cups, though. Again, this is water and food coloring. There's no taste, so don't drink it. What it represents, we'll find out as this message goes along, but I just want you to simply hold it. And I am laying out a precursor. Uh, this is for those of us who are seasoned and knowing the difference between right and wrong and know that we have to answer to a risen Savior, okay? So don't give this to your children, all right? They can play along with. Amen? Amen. Amen. All right. So I'm going to turn your attention to um, some things. I, I'm a visual learner. Um, and, and most people who are in, involved in uh, illustration or some type of artwork usually are. And, and so I found myself um, needing to be able to see various things as I went through uh, the study of the scripture. And so I was turned on to a, uh, a historical documentary of, of sorts uh, called Drive Through History. Um, it's featured on TBN. I, I don't believe we get TBN on our television, but uh, you can go online. And so Drive Through History is a biblical journey through uh, the places that you see throughout Scripture, throughout the Bible. And so in that, they give you some, you know, some background to certain things. And so I want to share a little background to this story that we're going into in the book of John chapter 4. So we learn that Jesus has traveled to uh, Galilee. Um, uh, and, he, and in his travels, he would pass through Samaria. And he, the reason he was passing through Samaria is because he was trying to get to Jerusalem. And so in this travel, he would get to Jerusalem during the times of their festivals. And so this is a route that he often took. Now, this wasn't a popular route by any stretch of the imagination because the Jews had issue 
with this group known as the Samaritans. And so I want to give you a little backstory as to why this was an issue. So uh, at the time, Jesus would travel uh, through Samaria, being, uh, Samaria being located through, in between uh, Judea and Galilee. He would travel there, uh, or through there, just to, like I said, get to uh, the festival celebrations. But before Jesus even began this trip, before this time of this passage of Scripture, about 720 years before he was, had come to the earth, there was a uh, group of people known as the Assyrians. The Assyrians were a powerful people, and they occupied and conquered the ten tribes of the northern kingdom of Israel. They captured the people and they dispersed many of the Israelites throughout their empire. And so the Israelites became servants, slaves, um, and, and were made to do various jobs and works. A little bit later, about 587 years before Christ was born, Babylon came and they took over the southern kingdom of Judea. And they destroyed the Jewish temple there. And you can read about these things in, the, in, the, in, in First and Second Kings. You can read about it through First and Second Chronicles. You can read about it in the book of Daniel. This is, is, is very detailed and outlined over this, this period of time. And so during that time, Babylon was actually overrun by the Persian government or Persian army. And when they came on the scene, um, the exiled Judeans were allowed to return home to Jerusalem and rebuild their temple. You can read about that in, in Nehemiah. And so uh, when they returned home, a couple of things started to happen. Um, the the, the uh, uh, Persians allowed some of the foreigners in their own land to uh, you know, go and settle uh, close to Jerusalem. And so what would happen over some time is that the, Drew, the Jews in that, that space and the, the, uh, the foreigners intermarried and, and had kids and developed a whole new nation. And this nation is what is known as Samaria. Okay? Now the Samaritans, uh, around about six, the 6th century B.C., were considered to be an impure mix of both Ju uh, Judaism and outside religious customs. They, they had this, their own thing going, if, if I could say that. And so there was tension between the Jews and the Samaritans, so much so that there was this war. And this war uh, broke out in Samaria. And so the Samaritans, they had built their own temple because they wanted to worship the true and living God. But of course, again, they mixed their religion or their faith with some other things. And so their temple was destroyed during this war. And so here's the tension. Here's the problem. Now, I want to turn our attention to the passage of Scripture, and then I'm going to kind of banter back and forth between some other areas of history. Let's look at John chapter 4, and we're going to start at verse 4. 
Okay? I don't know if it's on the board, so that's okay. Just listen through. John chapter 4. I'm reading from the English Standard Version. It says, And he, this being Jesus, had passed through Samaria. So he came to, a town of, uh, to the town of Samaria called Shinar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, weary as he was from his travels or his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour, which is around noon. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it was that was saying to you, give me drink, you would ask him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. And she's giving Jesus a little history lesson. Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks this water will thirst again. But everyone, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never th uh, be thirsty again. The water that I give him will become in him a spring of living water, welling up into eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here and draw water. Jesus said to her, Go call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you're right in saying, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one you are with now is not your husband. You have said, what you have said is true. The woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem, is the place where we, should, we ought to worship. Jesus said unto her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. Praise the Lord, saints. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Yes. The Lord God yes. omnipotent reigneth. There's going to come a time, Jesus said, where you're not going to be concerned about this place of this place to worship God, you'll be able to do it freely. Looking at this story, I've realized a couple of things, and I don't want to give it to you too quickly, but I do want 
to give you a little bit because I want to rope you in to some very specific things that God is saying to us. The story of the woman at the well teaches us that God loves us in spite of our bankrupt lives. In spite of ourselves, in spite of who we are, in spite of what we've done, in spite of last night, in spite of last week, last month, last year. He loves us. This is what this story teaches. But you say, Tony, well, I guess we can leave. The church is over. You've told us all about it. But let's kind of walk through this thing. First and foremost, this story also teaches us about a conversation that Jesus has with everyday people. A conversation that he had with a woman who was considered an outcast. And there's evidence to show us that she was considered an outcast because she came to the well by herself. She was alone. My daughter and I yesterday were talking about her travels in Africa and how someone had built a well to provide um, clean water for a group of people. You see, this group of people had to travel many miles to get the water that they needed. And so this group decided, hey, why have them travel all this way? Why don't we just build them a well here? And so it turns out that they found that the women kept going many miles to get their water. And they're trying to figure out, well, what's the problem? Why would you do that? Comes to find out that the women poisoned the well. And he's like, what? You know, I was sitting there talking to him, like, why would they? Well, what? What is that about? Why would they do that? And she helped me understand, James, that they poisoned the well because it cut off their social circle. You see, that travel, those many miles, was important to them. That was an opportunity for them to share and, and be in fellowship with one another. They, they had a rough life. A lot of these women have been having babies at the will of their husband without any, any plan. A lot of these women have been abused and, and mistreated and treated like property. They needed some space, some, a place to be able to have conversation with other people, to rub up against other people, to talk. And this group and their good intentions just came and shortened that trip for them. And so they, it was more important for them to be in fellowship. It's more important for them to socialize. Mm, Looking at this passage of scripture, you see that this woman is coming out on her own. She comes out by herself. She doesn't have anybody to fellowship with. She doesn't have anybody in her life that she can build relationships with, mostly because of her lifestyle. The things that were going on in her life that caused people to ridicule her, to judge her, to badmouth her, to say things about her that made her want to come on her own. How many of you all can relate to that? You can think about that. There's times in our life where either we don't want to be bothered with people or people don't want to be bothered with us. We can relate to that, no? So in reading uh, John 4, 
4 through 7, it reads again this way. And he had passed through Samaria. Who? Jesus. So he came to the town of Samaria called Shinar. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. Near the field that Jesus had given, I'm sorry, that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. The woman came at noon. Most women came in groups. And they would come early in the morning or late in the evening. Her coming alone wasn't normal. So it shows either shame in her life or rejection. Her soul was thirsty because of shame. Maybe even rejection. Maybe even loneliness. She was going about her normal routine trying to get a drink of water. But in reality, we understand that she needed much more. She was thirsty for more. How many of you all know that when we are in sin, we, th- we thirst? We're thirsty. We want to be satisfied. We want, uh, we want to be refreshed. And sometimes we find ourselves going to different things for refreshment. Now, I can name a, a, doubt, a thousand different vices. Just last night, I know of a circumstance, a situation where someone was looking for refreshment. And they found themselves in a place that they thought would be satisfying to them. How many of you all can relate to that? For some of us, it's been drugs and alcohol. For some of us, it's been sex, pornography, all sorts of other issues. For some of us, it's been the third and fourth movie that we've went from one house to the next house to the next house, uh, movie houses, uh, just seeking something to fill our space, our time. For some of us, it's been work. We've been working long hours. Our wives have been calling us. Our husbands have been calling us, and we find ourselves still at work. For some of us, it's our, our own headspace, one of the loneliest places to be. Our own headspace, our own stinking thinking that shows us that poor choices and unproductive behaviors are a sign of there's an issue in our life, a trauma, a pain, a problem. We find ourselves thirsty. Jesus is trying to help a woman understand that you are thirsty. That you desire more from life than what you're getting. 
He didn't have to say much because he could just simply look at the circumstance. He could do the detective work. He can see that, hey, it's noon. What you doing? Coming here by yourself. How are you thirsty? How is your soul thirsty? And think about this. What is the ache in your heart? The thing that you always carry. Just like the woman looked normal going to get some water, in reality, it wasn't normal. What was underneath her normal? What, was under, what is underneath our normal? I need some help from our ushers. I want you to give a cup to every adult in the room. And I want you, as you're receiving this cup, to think about some things. Try your hardest not to allow anything to distract you. Because you're going to need to pray. Do not, for those of you all who've come late, do not drink this water. Amen? This water is not for your drinking. It is an illustration. Amen? Amen. All right. You will, not, you will not like the taste of this water. All right. I want you to take these cups and I want you to think about what's going on in your life. How is your soul thirsty? How are you thirsting? How are you hungering and thirsting for righteousness, but not filling your life with it? I want you to think about very specific behavior in your life that you know that if it was written in the Lamb's book of life. No, let's take that. Let's take it away from Let's say that if the Lord took over our Internet and posted your stuff right here on the screen. The stuff that you don't want nobody to know. The stuff that you don't want nobody to see. See that thing in these, these cups. Look at your cup. Don't let anything distract you. Not a baby, not a cell phone. Look in your cup. Literally, look in your cup. What sin, what thing is separating you from getting your thirst met? Let's say this cup was clean. Thank you. Let's say, thank you. Let's say this cup was clean. The water was pure. But because of our sin, it's become crimson. It's become crimson red. Let me ask you this question. Can this cup satisfy you? Here you go. Hand her that cup. Can this cup satisfy you? Would you drink this? This is not a rhetorical question. I'm asking. Would you drink this? No. Not just because I told you not to. But, but, but thinking about what could be in this cup. The sin in your life. The thing that's caused you to not be in fellowship. To... To avoid people. 
to avoid confessing, to avoid God, would this satisfy? I think about passages of the scriptures where Jesus says, let this cup pass from me. And I think about what was in that cup. My sin. The sin of the world. And Jesus himself said, man, no way. I wouldn't want to drink that. I also think about it when Jesus is on the cross and he says, I thirst. Because at that moment, he's filled with this. But Jesus has a message for this sister. I want you to be honest as you're thinking about this. Don't dismiss this too quickly. Think about what is in this cup. And I want to thank you for being honest as you search your own soul. What sin has caused this water to be tainted, to be crimson? We don't want to be thirsty, do we? No, we don't want to be thirsty. But we can't quench our thirst. We can't quench the thirst of our souls ourselves. If we could, we wouldn't feel the way we feel about what we know could be in this cup. If we could quench our souls' thirst, we wouldn't have a need for a risen Savior. We know that we are sinful. We need Jesus. Now, for some of us are struggling. Well, I don't know, man. I don't think I need Jesus. Think about the wage of sin. Reading again from uh, the book of John, we're going to go back up to seven. And I'm going to read to you this conversation that's about to ensue. Verse 7 to through 15. And the woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. Jesus answered her, and listen carefully to what he says. If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. If you knew the gift of God and who it was that was speaking to you, you would have asked and he would have given you living water. Is it that simple? You just ask. First, we got to know who it is, right? Verse 11 says, And the woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us a well to drink, uh, uh, and we drank from it. Him, uh, oh, I'm sorry. He gave us a well, and he drank from it himself. And he did, and, and so did his sons and his livestock. And Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will thirst again. They'll be thirsty again. 
But whoever drinks from the water that I give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I give him will become a spring of water, welling up until eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will never be thirsty again or have to come here to draw water. Now, they're having a conversation. We've we've read the conversation. There's a bantering back and forth about water. But she's talking about water and Jesus ain't talking about water. Excuse my urban vernacular. Jesus is not talking about water. But she is. And they're going back and forth with this imagery. And Jesus is trying to get her to see something else, but she can only see what is the present. But then she is intrigued. She says, well, well, wait a minute. Now, one of the reasons I keep coming here at 12 noon is because people talk about me. One of the reasons I keep coming here by myself is because I don't want to be bothered with other folk. One of the reasons I come here is because I don't have nobody. Give me some of that water that I don't need to come here no more. Give me that. I don't have to keep coming down here pulling this up. I can just keep on moving. She's thinking about this water being a refreshment. She gets an inkling, a, a feeling, a thought that maybe there might be something to this water that Jesus is talking about that could do something in my life. I don't know how to do it, but I can tell you what I've been doing. I've been doing some stuff. I've been doing some stuff that I thought would satisfy my soul. I've been spending nights at places. I've been doing things. And I'm not getting any relief. I'm not being refreshed. Give me some of that water. I don't have to draw no more. They're having this dialogue about water. It's not really about water. There's this well, and we understand that the well is the source of the water. But Jesus says to her, if you knew the gift of God, that's the source. You think it's this well, the source. If you knew the source. The gift of God, if you knew that. He said, the well is deep. She says, the well is deep. The shaft to get to the water is deep. It takes some time, but he says, who is it? If you knew who it was that asked you, give me drink, you would just ask. You would just ask, wait a minute. No, this water is, this well is deep. You don't have nothing to draw with. How do I get that? And, and, and he says, man, just ask. Just ask if you knew who it was. If you knew what a source of living water was, you would just ask. How many of us are finding it difficult to just ask, Lord, save me. Lord, help me. Lord, I'm depressed. I'm stressed. Lord, I'm, I, I, I don't, can't keep up with this homework. Lord, I... I I don't like what my mother is saying to me. Lord, I need you. Who is it among us that is struggling with just asking? We've been filling our cup with all sorts of manner of things that we think would refresh us, but it is not working. 
It's not working. It's not working. We thirst. We thirst. We find ourselves saying, just hook a sister up. Hook a brother up. Give me something. I don't need to come here no more. We find ourselves isolating, cutting ourselves off from people. If just give me what I need right now and I don't have to be bothered. I don't have to be bothered. But, oh, man, if you knew how this story ends. Oh, Lord, God, if you know how this story ends, it ends. Oh, God, I just I want to tell you, but I, I need to take you through it a little more. It says. Who is it to ask you? We're talking about living water. Jesus is talking about living water. He's not talking about the well. Can you ever, uh, can you uh, uh, just imagine never thirsting again? Look at your cup. Can you imagine not having to deal with the things that you've placed in here? Never thirsting. Think about it. Never thirsting again. Can you imagine that? Lord, you mean to tell me that there's another way? Yeah, there's another way. See, Christ is not only the person who can feel your thirst or quench your thirst or satisfy your thirst. But when he does, he gives you the capacity, the ability to satisfy the thirst of others. See, the woman at the well says, give me, hook me up, give, give me that water, and I, I'm gone. Deuces, I'm out of here. I don't, need, I, don't have to, I don't have to drink no more. But that's not how it works. When, when Jesus gives us this true and living water from a true and living God, we're satisfied, but we're, we're even more satisfied when we share that water with somebody else. We are called to share that water. He's not trying to just solve your problem so you can go in isolation and you can just be off to yourself. That's why we come and find ourselves doing the things that cause this to be tainted. I was thinking about our community. Uh, and when I say our community, I'm thinking about Austin. See, the Austin community actually has some history. Uh, there was a person, Henry Austin, who desired to build a community that was free of a lot of problems. It was a dry county. He, 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 he paved the roads. He built the parks. He ushered in the squirrels that we see in our backyard all the time. It's because of this man. He created this oasis, this place where there will be no problem. And some people over time begin to see that he was, his community at least was growing in number and in size and in power. And they had influence and they were able to bring railroads through and, and, and some other communities got a little jealous. A little, a little, they became haters. That community, one of them is here in Oak Park. The other is Cicero and Berwyn. And so they decided to excommunicate Austin and say, hey, Austin, you're going to go and hang with Chicago. Matter of fact, you're going to be Chicago. That's what happened. I'm giving you the, the 
summed up version, okay? We have this beautiful Austin Town Hall. We have these, the, 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 these things, but then you know what started to happen? The Samaritans came. Well, not really the Samaritans. People that look like me start moving into the Austin community. And when, and when we start moving into the Austin community, the Jews, I mean, the, the people who were there decided, no, oh, 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 no, we're not mixing with y'all. Let me get up out of here. Okay? And so there was what we call in the 60s, white flight. Droves of people decided, man, we are gone. And so... Chicago was bogus to, to Austin anyway. They didn't uh, provide Austin. Actually, I just traveled the, one of the roads. There's rail cars and cobblestone still there. And I was turning. And I was like, man, what is going Because they didn't pave this thing for I don't know how long, but I just traveled that road. And so there was disinvestment and all this other stuff. And Austin has been left to itself because when... Things are difficult, we choose to leave or abandon. And see, this is the beauty of this. And this is not about Austin by any stretch of the imagination. This is about each and every one of us. Jesus is traveling through Samaria and he stops and he he stops. This is this is who he is. He stops. The other rabbis were like, man, no way. We even read about this when Jesus tells us about the Good Samaritan. The rabbis was like, no, I'm, hey, I'm sorry you, you know, you're going through some issues. You, you know, your, your neighborhood's disinvested. Uh, yeah, you know, you can't go to West Suburban for medical care. You're going to have to go to Cook County. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm sorry. And so they went the other way. But Jesus is not like that. He's not that kind of rabbi. He don't go the other way. He come right through, right through, and he meets us right where we're at. And say, man, I know you hurting. I know you got some issues. I know you got some problems. I got something for you. I got something for you. I got something for you. Let me tell you what it is that I have for you. John 4, 13 through 14, Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but Whoever drinks of the water that I give him, I will, uh, uh, that, I, that I give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. A spring of water welling up into eternal life. He's giving us something better and it allows us to be in right fellowship with God. It allows us to be in right fellowship with one another. And I'm telling you, some of that water is being sprinkled through this community right now. There's some work in the churches right now. There's some work in the hearts of the people in Austin right now. People are starting to come together. People are of the mind that we need to do something different because there's some problems. There's some things that need some answers, some solutions. And so it is our prayer that everybody comes to this place of understanding that we need living water. We need something that is really, truly going to satisfy us. We need something that is going to cause us. To understand what it says in John 14, 6. Jesus said to them, I am the way and the truth 
and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. There is no other way. We've been looking for another way. There's no other way. There's no other truth. We've been looking for things. We've been searching for things, but there is no other truth. There is no other life. We've been looking for it. We've been living it, but there's no other life. Jesus said, no one comes to the Father but by me. And then Isaiah, and this is quoted again in Revelation. Here's what Isaiah says in uh, Isaiah 46.10. They show, Lord God have mercy. They shall not hunger or thirst, neither scorch nor wind shall shake them. For he who has pity on them will lead them and by springs of water will guide them. This is our God. This is the true and living God. This is the God who wants to make life better. He wants to make life better. He wants to do things differently. And he's, he wants to meet us right there where we're at. But we got some problems, y'all. We got some problems. When we look at the rest of this passage of Scripture, and I need y'all to listen carefully. Please, as you're listening, think about this cup. Think about this cup. Those of you all who don't have a cup, imagine. Think about this cup, the sin that is here. As we read further in John, John 4, uh, 16 through 18, it says, starting at verse 16, Jesus said to her, go and call your husband and come here. And the woman answered him, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, you're right in saying, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands. And the one you are now with is not your husband. What you have said is true. We got to come face to face with our sin. And some of us read this and like, man, Jesus, you kind of went in hard on it, right? I mean, you just telling her all this good stuff about this living water and then you're going to, What? You know, some of us read this, man, yeah, he so told her, that's right. You know, she needs to get herself together. You know, yeah, that's right. Don't be coming to my Lord like that. Lord, have mercy. Can you imagine how caught off she was? Like, what? What? Can you imagine the change on her face or the the expectation uh, that she was experiencing from just the sheer shock of this conversation. Why is he bringing this up? I thought we were talking about water. What, 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 really? And then she's probably thinking, how does he know? Like, how does he know? Man. And so she responds like, I understand that you're a prophet. Right? It's like, you got to be something. Right? Why would Jesus go there? Why is he now, as I would like to say, all up in her Kool-Aid? All in her business. You know, this, this same stuff that keeps us from being in fellowship with one another. The same stuff that keeps us from calling one another. The same stuff that keeps us from confessing our sins one to another. This stuff. Why is he all in this? 
Because he realizes that this ain't right. And he wants her to realize it too. But he doesn't want her to realize it so that she can go walking away feeling bad and sorry about herself. He wants her to realize that here's where you've been going to get refreshed. And you're still thirsty. You're still thirsty. You run in the streets. You're doing God knows what. How, how, my immediate response was, how old could she have been to have five husbands? Lord, these are relationships. And then I thought about some young folks, some movie stars, the Erica Keynes of society. Say, so, well, I guess she really didn't have to be all that old, right? You know, I'm saying Erica Kane because we know she's a fictional character. I could think about some real people, but that's not what God called me to do. <laughs> we think about this. We think about ourselves. We think about where we are. We think about what's in this cup. And then how do we respond? How does she respond? She does what everyone does. When the truth is, you know, up in your face, Jesus is the truth, right? When the truth is in your face, what do we do? We point somewhere else, right? I don't, no, don't be looking. Hey, you know, we go somewhere else. We redirect. God exposes our poor habits. We start talking about theology. God exposes our unproductive behaviors. We start talking about if the Bible is reliable or not. God exposes our sin. We talk about Christians that be falling all the time, and they're a bunch of hypocrites. We, we do, you know, we redirect. We don't want to come face to face with that. We don't want, man, don't be looking at me. Don't, don't do this to me. Don't, don't, don't put me on blast. Yeah, okay, I'm bogus. I've been doing some stuff, but that ain't your business. You know? But it is. It is his business. It is his business. Some of us need to confess some stuff. We need to go home. We need to talk to our wives. We need to go home. We need to talk to our parents. We need to go home. We need to get this thing right. We need to call our pastor. We need to be in small groups. We need to be in fellowship one with another. And if we can't find time to fellowship one with another, we need to find some other believers to be in fellowship with. But we need to keep this thing going. You're in sin. Jesus is saying, the man you're living with is not your husband. You're right in saying that. Now, what are you going to do about it? Jesus is saying, yeah, you know, you, you, you're looking at porn. I bless you with money to pay your internet. I bless you with resources to pay your electricity bill. I am your source. And you're looking for satisfaction and, and to get your needs met somewhere else. We need to look at where we're at. Thinking about this, the first step that we need to do to quench our thirst, uh, the thirst of our souls, is to allow the truth of God's word to expose the truth about us. Expose the truth about what it is that we're doing, what it is that we're saying, how we're behaving, how we're treating one another, how when someone disrespects us, how we become disrespectful. We need 
to face the truth. We need to face Jesus. Why? Because he is our source. He's our source. And I know this can be sometimes a difficult message. I don't know why I always get the difficult ones. But this is what I want to warn you against. Wrestle through it. Wrestle through it. I was telling someone, I like having good debates. Not that I can prove myself to be right, but that I can learn. That I can learn because I'm not always right. Matter of fact, ask my wife, I'm probably not right half the time. But this is right. (laughs) Three-fourths of the way. But this is right. This word is right. If you try it on your own to quench your own soul's thirst, you may have been trying in vain. Matter of fact, I was flat out say you have been. You've been trying in vain. You can't make nobody act the way you want them to act. You can't control outcomes and circumstances and situations. You can't keep people away from this, that, or the other. You have to trust God. You have to trust God. We found him. Amen. We found him. We found him. I know that I've, man, I just, I've done everybody a favor here. We didn't fill these cups up, right? We, man, I, I, I probably, here go my cups right here. And, I, and they're full. And I need a couple more tables. They're full. We know that this is not enough to satisfy anybody, let alone let it be dirty. But in some heinous circumstances, this is how we deal with our, our, our trauma. This is how we deal with our, our sin. This is how we deal with our hurt. We keep going to this. My daughter asked me, uh, Dad, why is me- medicine so nasty? You know, and, you know, she wasn't even asking for herself. She was advocating for her brother because he was like, no. And I said, baby, if medicine tastes good, people would overdose. <laughs> we just keep going for it. Sin is nasty. And some, some of us, no, all of us, have OD'd on this stuff. But Jesus says, living water. <coughs> only Jesus, only Jesus can quench the thirst of our souls. We're going to continue reading and I'm going to wrap this up and close with a response from you. In John 4, 21 through 25, Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. Now, why is he he telling her that? Because after he put her on blast, she said, I discern that you're a prophet, but you say we should worship here and not here. Now remember in the earlier on when I was giving you a little history lesson 
the Samaritans had, you know, kind of figured out, you know what, hey, you Jews don't want to be bothered with us. We're going to build our temple here on this mountain. And we don't need you all telling us how to worship. We're going to bring in some other stuff. You know, Judaism is a little boring. We got a couple other things. We got some Easter bunnies and some Christmas trees. We're going to add a little other stuff into our mix. And Jesus has to set her straight in a sense. And he goes on and he says, you worship that which you do not know. We worship what we know, we being the Jews. For salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. And the Father who is seeking, the, and the, for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. What type of people is he looking for? People who will worship him in spirit and in truth. Who will re recognize what's going on in here. Bring that thing before him. Know that he is the way. Know that he is the truth. Know that he is the life. He's looking for people who can say, Hallelujah. The Lord God omnipotent reigneth. It ain't about me. It's all about you. I recognize I'm a wretch undone. I recognize that I am a sinner in need of a savior. This is the conversation that he's having. And he goes on and says, God is spirit. And those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. And the woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming, who is called the Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus tells her, the one that you're speaking to is he. Some things start happening. Lights start coming on. She recognized that this man is more than a prophet. She recognized that he is the true and risen Savior, or the true and living God, the, the, the Messiah. He hadn't died yet. He hadn't rose yet. And so how does he respond? The same way we need to respond when we start to receive this living water. We need to go tell somebody. It's difficult, but it is a byproduct of you believing. That's right. If you can't tell nobody how this got clean, you might need to take a look at it and see just how clean it still needs to be. We can't wrestle with this one. We can't wrestle with this one. If you are a believer, Jesus says, look, if you're ashamed of me, I'm going to be ashamed of you before my father. So there's a, we need to respond. And some of us are like, well, wait a minute, man. Just clean my water up. I ain't, I ain't, I don't, I don't. Do I need to tell people? I got clean? That's up to you. 
But for those of you all who want to get clean, those of you all who want change, think about the emotional roller coaster this woman was on. Think about the emotional roller coaster you would be on. And then you see how she responds. Does his word add hope to your future? Does his word give you this sense that things can change? I know for myself that I need some of this. I need some of this. This is my representation of living water. This is what we're being offered. This is what we can have and we can allow God to do what he needs to do in our life. And the change may not be instantaneous. But if we give God time and we give him space and we let him do what he's going to do in our life, I promise you, things will start to clear up. Things will start to clear up in our lives if we let God do what it is that he wants to do in us. I'm going to open up the altar, give you an opportunity. Symbolically bring your cups with you if you desire. The God make you clean. The God takes the stuff that you've been running to to quench your thirst. And you allow him to be the thirst quencher. Allow him to be your sprite. Allow him to satisfy your thirst. Let's pray. Dear gracious and most heavenly Father, you are the ultimate thirst for our soul. God, we know that salvation comes only to those of us who recognize our desperate need for the spiritual life that you offer. You, O oh Lord, are living water. And you can only be obtained when we recognize that we are spiritually thirsty. God, we understand, I believe, uh, by uh, our outward expression. That salvation comes only to those of us who confess and repent our sins and desire and seek after forgiveness. Lord God, you have touched this woman at the well who was full of immorality because she was seeking something other than you. Maybe she may have thought she was right in her position and where she stood. But you came to set things right in her life, and you did an awesome job. Now, God, won't you do that same thing in us? Won't you, Lord God, meet us where we're at? I open up the altar. Bring your cups. This will be a symbolic representation of God restoring us, making all things new. Because that's what he comes to do.